Welcome to podcast number 72 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is October 22nd, 2019, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Robert and Andrea Orozco of Advanced Professional Investigations. Robert has been a professional investigator for over a decade and a half and is highly experienced in insurance defense investigation and specializes in surveillance for insurance defense and corporate investigations. He became president of the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado in November of 2010, and during his term as president, he was influential in introducing Colorado's PI license bill. The bill would ultimately be passed into law after 36 years of previous attempts by PPIAC, and it took effect in July of 2015. Andrea has been a professional investigator as well for over a decade and a half and has spent the majority of her career working in Colorado. As a former vice president of training for the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado, she was responsible for training and education of investigators throughout the state. Andrea is currently the first VP of the National Association of Investigative Profession, NCISS, and also serves on her state board for investigators, PPIAC, as vice president of legislation. It is my pleasure to bring on the podcast, Robert and Andrea Orozco. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. You will learn from the best. Of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share their favorite detective story. On alternating weeks, you will hear from crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my recently published books for private investigators. How to launch your private investigation business. How to market your private investigation business. How to boost your private investigation business. It also appears as a three-book set in How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. All can be found at your favorite online retailers in ebook or softcover. Did you know that I also coach private investigators how to survive and thrive in business? Visit my website at www.thepicoach.com. That is thepicoach.com to learn more. Hi, Robert and Andrea. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for having us. Well, it's my pleasure. And how is the weather out in the greater Denver area today? It's beautiful. Yeah, sunny. Very beautiful day. 70s weather, nice and sunny. And so far, no snow here. Well, that could change tomorrow. It's supposed to change next week. Okay. And then you could still have beautiful 70s in the afternoon after a snowfall. So, Right. Yes, I understand uh, the weather there. So uh, I have friends that live in Fort Lupton, giving them a shout out. And then uh, today, as we record this, it's October 4th, uh, 2019. Here in uh, Milford, Connecticut, we have a blustery day after a rainy day yesterday. Uh, it's kind of changeable, changeable skies, but uh, a little precursor of fall in the Northeast. Uh, the trees are starting to change their colors, and by Columbus Day, here along uh, southern Connecticut, will be in you know uh, fall's uh, peak uh, leaf peeping season. But anyway, so um, I wanted to ask you: you both came to invest private investigations separately, and then decided to create your own company together. So, Robert, if you want to start first, and then Andrea, you, ch- you know, chime in, and then take me to where you met, and then take me from that point on. Okay. So, well, I started out and I got into investigations really by almost by accident. I didn't have any uh, prior, um, uh, you know, it's not like I came into it saying, hey, I want to be a PI or I want to do investigations. Never really uh, came into my mind or wasn't on my radar. I went to school to be an engineer. uh, And after I got my engineering schooling, I went into the workforce and did construction for a couple of years and really got into investigations by answering 
hearing an ad in the newspaper back when there were still ads in newspapers you know, for newspapers, <laughs> right? And but um, what and of course the job description caught my eye. They were, the company was looking for an insurance investigator, and I didn't know really what that was. But what got me the job was being bilingual in Spanish, and uh, I, I think just my work ethic. You know, I I was so willing to learn this profession, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's really what got me the job. And uh, started out doing insurance defense, workers' compensation, a whole lot of surveillance, and and that's just where. I got my foot in the door. Been doing it ever since. And then, uh, Andrea, tell me how you got started. My path was a little bit different. I actually owned a bed and breakfast for a number of years. Wanted to go to school to be a cop, and um, had horses on our property. I actually had a team of horses that were stolen from me. Hmm. And in the process of wanting to find out where my horses were, I conducted a little mini investigation. By the time I went to court, I brought in three three ring binders, and I had uncovered to three state theft ring of horse thieves. And the judge had asked me at the time, he said, I really don't know what all you want to do for a living, but this is the most thorough investigation I've seen in my career. This is what you should be doing. And I really took him seriously. From that point on, I thought, okay, I've always thought my path would be in police work, but it's actually the detective work that interested me um, and started from there. Put myself through school for investigation and started working under another investigative company, starting from the bottom. And at some point, uh, your paths crossed. They did. All right. They did. So, so in working, you know, I worked for a couple of companies, and I think it was the yeah the second uh, company that I worked for. Um, I had been there for a few months, and and uh, Andrea was hired there, and so we started out, you know, just becoming friends, and uh, that's kind of how we got to know each other. So we were both uh, doing uh, surveillance for the same company, and yeah, that's how we met. And you were working long surveillances together. Not really an awful lot. I mean, I worked down south in Colorado. Robert worked up north. We really didn't talk an awful lot. But when we did work together, I really respected his methodology and the way he thought and his ethics and the way he worked his cases. So we started to talk more and more. And I think eventually um, decided, Robert decided to go out on his own. We weren't happy with where we were working. Um, and Robert decided to go out on his own and, and had offered me a position to work with him. Now, um, and you became a couple? We, we became a couple a short while after that, yes. <laughs> no, that, that minor point, you know, I, I, yeah. it would be, you know, I'm sure there are uh, men and women investigative teams, uh, but I just wanted to make sure that you guys were... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And ended up getting yes. married. Yes. yes. Ended up getting married. Okay. Yeah. Just to clarify, we are married. And yeah, yeah, we got married actually a year. We started the business first. We started the business in 2006 and then got married in 2007. But of course, we had already uh, been dating uh, around the time that we started the business. Okay. There's no greater test to um, a marriage or a or a company, you know, than when you work together and see how you work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my Lord. And... Uh, that you're both in a startup together at the same time. Yes. That, yes. There. That. That is a truly a test for. But you had known each other for a while, so you weren't. We had. You weren't just newlyweds and then new business people. You'd been. You'd been a couple for a while and then uh, tested your marriage with <laughs> deciding <laughs> deciding to create a business together. Absolutely. All right. So uh, I don't care which one wants to take the story from there, but you know, kind of take me through there. Well, Robert, you told me off air that you went out on your own first to test the waters and. And while Andrea kept the uh, paychecks coming in, am I right? Well, sure, because when I started the business, I, I really didn't start out with a whole lot in savings, but I you know had a few thousand dollars saved up. Uh, but I, I had to get the business uh, going. So, but Andrea and I, we sat down, we we uh, drew up a business plan, we determined who our clientele was going to be, which for us, being that we were uh, well versed in the workers' compensation market, that's the clientele that we wanted to go after. And so, you know, we came up with a company name, you know, found a logo, you know, went with the logo. But so anyways, I had to start that all up. And while I was starting up the company, and you know how when you first start up a, an investigations company, you don't immediately get cases in the door. So while I set that up, the investigations company, Andrea, uh, continued uh, working elsewhere so that we could get the bills paid. Right. It makes sense. Uh, and that, and even though it was in investigations, uh, you bo- both weren't relying 
relying on what you would, you would be receiving from your new business. You had uh, Andrea's income coming in to help uh, smooth things over until you could start getting cases into the pipeline where clients would pay. Right. And I think yeah. when you start out in a new business like that, you don't really know what it's going to look like, you know, a few months or even a year down the road. You don't know because it's not something that you get immediately. You have to actually go out and get those cases and meet those clients. You don't really know what security is going to be in the beginning. No, you're right. And, and to your point, I, I'm thinking that uh, it was a bold step. And in hindsight, would you have taken that those steps again um, had you known uh, how it was going to be in the beginning? Absolutely. There were times, of course, when you first start that things are a little bit scary. You know that you want to do what you love and you want to do it the right way. You don't want to cut corners. But would I do it again? I would do it again any day of the week. That's yeah, true. absolutely. Like Andrea said, you know, it, it is a very scary thing to start your own business. Uh, but where we went into it feeling that we were pretty prepared at that point to start our own simply because we already, you know, each had at least a couple of years of experience in investigations and workers' compensation. And so that that bridged that gap much easier for us. And, and it made it, even though it was still scary to start a business, we already knew what we were doing investigations-wise. Right. So the skill cra- the skill sets and the field craft was there. And and trust me, I understand surveillance. Uh, there's a lot of field craft that, that happens with surveillance. It uh, could be five hours, eight hours of boredom. And in the last two minutes, uh, you, get it, you get you get got rolling on a case and you have to make uh, split second decisions many times Absolutely. based upon uh, experience. But then a lot of times it's gut. You just have to say, you know, am I going to do this or not? Um, but now, uh, Andrea, did you have uh, some uh, a business acumen too coming into it because you owned your own bed and breakfast before? Somewhat. Uh, so, okay. But it, obviously that's a little bit of a different business than mm-hmm. investigations. So the business model looked a little bit different when we started this. Um, And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of investigators make when they come into this business, into this profession. They may be really good at what they do on the investigations end, but they really don't know how to do things on the business end. So I think that an important thing for people to know is if you don't really have a business acumen coming in, then go and take some courses, even with the SBA, your local SBA. Small business Mm -hmm. administration. Administration. Sure. Yeah. uh, To learn some of those. The SCORE executives, um, Society of uh, Retired Executives. Uh, right. I can't I, I can't remember what uh, the whole acronym stands for right now, but they can help you with uh, talking about your business plan, seeing if you've identified your target audience, making your first pro forma, you know, yes. and, and somebody that's coming out of law enforcement is going to say, what the hell is a pro forma? Well, it's a profit and loss statement or, yes. you know, it's a, but it's part of your business plan. You have to know that, uh, that you're going to be actually charging people uh, for your services and that you have to charge enough money to cover taxes and expenses and the cost of goods sold and then to pay yourself a decent salary so that you can keep the lights on. And people forget about all the other things that go into this as well. You have to have insurance, you know, even for surveillance people, vehicle insurance, commercial insurance, Mm -hmm. all of the administrative costs that go along with that. So you're right. Errors and emissions. is important. Exactly. Errors and emissions. Bonds for some of us in states that require those. So there are other things that go along with that as well. And then you have to keep your saw sharpened. That means yes. uh, joining uh, associations and I'll get, I'll get into associations a little bit later oh, yeah. on and okay. uh, the cost of associations <laughs> and uh, the cost of training to keep going, uh, right. to keep learning. So yeah, you're right. So it's just not uh, getting a few uh, clients that are going to feed you uh, 40 hours of work or how many hours of work you need a week to survive. Right. It's a matter of actually uh, planning a business. So you had a business yes. plan and uh, and then eventually, as I understood from Robert, you were able to come on board shortly thereafter? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah, that, in terms of starting out, yeah, we, we had uh, capital uh, that we had, you know, we had saved up some money to get the business off the ground, get it rolling, you know, get a website put together. But as, as I was mentioning, you know, just to even pay the, the regular bills, you know, the house bill and apartment or whatever, you know, that, that's why Andrea stayed working for a couple mm-hmm. months, then came on okay. once we felt comfortable that, okay, we have enough money rolling in the door from the cases that were working. Okay, this seems like it's going somewhere. Now she can come in. Mm-hmm. And considering that uh, you, you were keeping your overhead low, wasn't it so nice to be paying yourself as an employer instead of being paid as an employee for, the, for uh, doing the same work? 
You know what? I have to tell you that even, I mean, we're going on 14 years of this now of our own company, 20 years as an investigator. But even after 14 years, I still feel very grateful. And I never forget that this is where we are at within our careers and and, um, our company, that we're able to do that, that we're paying ourselves, that it's from the fruit of our labors that we're making that money. And it's something that I think that you can't ever forget, that you're actually pretty blessed to be able to that. Yeah. Equity is a strange animal. But when you start having equity in a business, that is your sweat and tears and your good name, and uh, you start paying yourself from the business out of your profits, it is different. And it's a, it's much more gratifying than a paycheck. Uh, yes. And it, and there are times when you're with a uh, employer that treats you well. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Uh, but uh, realistically, you're, you're mining your own gold at this point. Yes. And uh, yeah. and sometimes uh, the uh, the uh, you have to remember that that you have to continue to uh, find new customers and grow your business, and you have to keep uh, an eye on your expenses, things that you didn't have to worry about when you were just getting a paycheck. But all you had to do back then was just worry about the product or the service, making sure that you made your supervisor or your manager happy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point, you know, and that's a good way to put it. Yeah, when I was somebody else's employee, I was strictly able to focus on okay. Here's the quality of surveillance that that you know my employer wants to see the quality of surveillance that the, the employer's client wants to see and also of course I have the pride to say okay this is the work ethic and the quality I want to see out of myself mm-hmm. but that's it right. and then once we started the business yeah now you have to worry about all the rest of it you know marketing bringing customers in the door sales um, and that never stops even 14 years in when you've developed a, a, a big client base you can't ever become complacent and stop doing that out of sight out of mind right Exactly. And that's what a lot of people forget. Once they're uh, uh, established that and they have a nice customer base, then uh, everything's hunky-dory. Well, my story very quickly was seven years into my first business, within 60 days, 55% of my business dried up. And yeah, and then that's when I had to learn about marketing. And I had to learn about marketing at warp speed while I had nine employees that uh, I still had to make payroll, you know? No greater stressor than that, is there? No. Yes. <laughs> no. Yes, I completely agree. Well, maybe and those are maybe nine hundred employees, but yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. And I think we all make those kind of mistakes. What you said, I think you know, I think people forget to about diversity. I think when they get into this and they have a couple of clients, you can't become um, comfortable in that. You have to keep yourself diversified because what if that client leaves? What if that client closes Retires, shop? Yeah. What if they start using someone else? Mm-hmm. And, and and you mm-hmm. have no control over that. No. Right. And we. we We've made some of those same mistakes. I mean, I think everybody does. You know, we um, when we're getting a lot of business in the door, um, especially between me and Andrea, we bounce things off of each other. But I, I, I've been guilty of saying, okay, well, we're getting so much business in the door, we almost can't keep up with it. Why do we need to market right now? And Andrea is the one that has to smack me upside the head and say, <laughs> no, we have to keep continue marketing because we don't know, uh, you know, if we're going to maintain that same level of business a month, two months, six months down the road. And sure enough, if we don't market, if we stop marketing, then the, the work starts to drop off a little bit. And when we then try to market at that point, it's already almost too late. You know, now we're two months delay because when you market it usually takes two or three months before you see the efforts of those marketing so oh, absolutely I, i've right. been guilty of that and made that mistake before what sure. do i say when that happens i say walmart's been around for decades target's been around decades they still market because they know the value of that continued marketing that's right oh i can't disagree with that and when you're busiest uh the uh the urge to be uh, the investigator kicks in and uh, you put you put your marketing hat on the shelf but realistically yes. no you that's when yep. you have to keep your marketing hat on because yes. when that glut of work finishes uh, and you get paid for that and then you haven't marketed where is the new customers coming in and where's the new work where's the new assignment yep so, exactly yeah I mean we all like to think that we can get a, a steady pipeline of work two three weeks out that's always you know always so right. steady that it's nice that you can pick and choose what you're going to put into the pipeline in, the, in those two, first, second, and third week. But you know that your market, you have to continue marketing in order to keep that pipeline full. And that's the thing that a lot of investigators forget. I agree. So uh, so it's been a while now since you launched. And what did your original idea look like then? And how does it look now? 
So, well, the original idea when we first started our company was um, it was just going to be Andrea and I in the company and we were just going to keep it small. Her and I were the only ones that were going to be doing the work. Well, as the as the amount of work increased and the clientele, you know, the, the amount of clients we kept building up more and more, we started to realize, okay, well, Andrea and I can't just do the work by ourselves anymore. Well, we need to bring in some more people and, and hire in some more in investigators. And so um, over 14 years now, you know, we've been able to grow the company to where, you know, now there's five, six, six of, six of us total. So, um, you know, when it just naturally grew, the more work that we got, we had to bring in help. Okay. But, but like you said, I think our original business plan was we just wanted to do what we loved and work for ourselves and just have it be Robert and I. I, I think the one mistake that we did make when we first started is we never imagined that it would grow beyond that. Oh, yeah. So I, I hear you. There's two things being said there. And the first is create a job for yourself. And that's what it was, a job for yep. yourselves. Yep. Right. And many times that's what self-employment is, creating your own job. But you hadn't originally thought of creating a business, which the, the term of a business then means supervision, uh, management, uh, human resources, protocols, right. systems, uh, reporting, policies. policies. Yeah, right. absolutely. And then vacation. And, uh, what vacations? No, no, for them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. True. <laughs> True. That's right. See, I, I I knew I was right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, and that's and that's yeah. I guess I was a little unclear what, what, because when we first started, yeah, it did start out with the idea of it just being a partnership between Andrea and I, mm -hmm. and and we didn't have as as part of our business plan, we didn't have the idea set to grow it into uh, a business with with other investigators, and so that part of the business plan then did change once we started to grow. It we realized, okay, we need uh, to hire people. And still continues to change. Yeah. So, uh, and that's that's a good question to ask. And uh, see, it was a different start for you than for me. And I'll, I'll make a compare and contrast. You, you originally mm -hmm. started it out as being a, a partnership that you would be mm -hmm. the, uh, you would have enough work to keep you both working full time and you would take care of your own reports. You would take care of your know, own expenses. It was, it was going to be yes. cl very closely held. Uh, right. My start was that I was going to build a business that I would build from, I use the words Bangor to Baltimore. That is Bangor, Maine, to Baltimore, <laughs> Maryland. I was going to build okay. a super regional and wow. I was going to sell it to my employees. That was my goal. And so I had a, a different business plan starting out than you guys did. Now that doesn't make one better or one worse. There's no, uh, there's no uh, judgment there. It's just right. simply a different way of building and thinking about it. But, but for you, uh, uh, you, you began with an end in mind, but that end changed very quickly when the amount of work exceeded what you uh, could handle yourselves. And that was a situation where you had to make a decision. Do you yes. keep it small and keep it all? Or yep. do you do you try to grow and then learn those skills that come with uh, owning a business? Ha and that's exactly the conversation we had. Okay. So just walk me through that a little bit, if you don't mind. I mean, uh, I brought you to that point. So it was very much like you just said, we, we actually said those words of what do we do? Do we keep it small and just you and I, or do we want to bring others in and maybe give others the opportunity to do what they love and then the same token, be able to take on more work. And that's what we decided. We decided we wanted to grow the company, but not have it be so big that it would become unmanageable or that quality would suffer. So we made a decision. What would that look like for us? And for us, what that looked like was maybe no more than five to six investigators total. And I think what, what really brought us to that decision more than anything was that Andrea and I were doing all the work, but at the same in the same token, how could we take vacations? Well, we really couldn't because if you take a vacation, I mean, obviously with her and I being married, <clears throat> if we both go on a vacation together, who's, who's there to work the cases? Well, it was nobody. Mm -hmm. So then we we started realizing, wow, we can't get away from the business ever unless we bring in uh, hired help, you know, in investigators that we right. train and, and, and are able to do the work while we're gone. So then the decision for us 
it started becoming much easier of, okay, we really need to to hire investigators, train them, mm-hmm. and that way they manage the work. Oh, yeah. The, the whole process, recruiting, hiring, training, supervising, managing, yep. uh, the whole cycle. And it sounds like um, you, you created a, a team because you reached a, the, the extent by which you, you could supervise without it becoming too unwieldy. Is that, yes. that fair to say? Yes. And then you guys also had a division of responsibilities between yourselves. Who did what better and who did the other thing better so that you and Robert would take different roles within the company, uh, handling different aspects of it? Absolutely. What we, what we, uh, when the company first started, I, I tried to do a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the bookkeeping manager, you know, managing the finances and that aspect. And I quickly realized that, okay, I think Andrea is much better at that than I am. Okay. And so she took that part over and she's done fantastic with that. Um, and then of course, then soon after we hired a bookkeeper and so we got help there. Mm-hmm. And so now we have an accountant in place, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when we first started, we were kind of feeling our way around some of those roles. And, and in terms of the investigations itself, uh, what I quickly realized is Andrea is much more uh, comfortable and well-versed at doing the computer investigations, internet investigations, and the, some of the office work. And at the same time, she was doing a lot of surveillance, but my focus was still, was much more singular in doing the surveillance, doing the field work, doing statements and interviews. Mm-hmm. And so that's where my role was. I think you have to be able to know what your strengths are when you start out in this business and when you need to bring other help in and where you put those people. Like you said, you know, do you need a bookkeeper that handles that? Because you can't do it all and you can't be good at all of it. No, but what a lot of um, uh, investigators do when they get these growing pains is rather than uh, train like you talked about or uh, supervise like you talked about, they abdicate or they they abandon some of those job roles to other people. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the quality goes down in bookkeeping. You know, mistakes yep. are being made, double paying bills, not not getting the invoices out in time, not getting the reports done on time, exactly. uh, or not training people to, to do the field work properly, or not teaching them how to report properly. And then it's an abdication of the role. And because of that, uh, your business suffers because the weakest link is now being exposed in your chain. And who's it being exposed to? Your customers, right? Absolutely. Under your name, mind yeah. you. Yes. So a lot of guys and gals you know, make the mistake of abdicating. It's like just abandoning the jobs that they don't like to other people. And, and then they get screwed in the end because, well, they never really trained the person how to do the job right. Or worse, um, they steal your customers or uh, they steal from you, you know, yep. which is a horror, horror story to begin with. So any, uh, as I just talked about, some horrendous mistakes being made. Were there any mistakes that you guys made along the way that if you had a, a crystal ball and knew that they were going to happen, that you would have put some things in place before they happened? Oh, of course. I think anybody that gets into this or any type of business does that. You know, in in talking about this, Robert and I talk about this stuff all the time. What would we have done differently? What were some of the mistakes that we made that we're now shaking our heads about? And part of it, I think, even goes down to the basics and the way you brand yourself, the logo you choose, your company name and how you market yourself and the message you want to convey. I mean, I think when we first started our company, we did the typical, um, you know, uh, spyglass, um, PI thing. And, and you have to look at what you're conveying to potential clients, what type of clients you want to speak to um, when you do that. Um, I think when we first started, the one thing we kept hearing too is Robert and I were too professional, uber professional, too stiff, that people really didn't get to know who we were. Uh, quality control, like you just spoke about. We, you know, wanted to make sure that that stayed in place. But unless you have a motto in mind and you make sure that keep your hand in every when you do train bullet you some of that goes so so i i, I want to go back a little bit to what andrea mentioned about being the uber professional because uh, that's a, a lesson we learned a- after 14 years of business we we learned that very recently which is uh, because when we started our company we had seen some of the mistakes that other companies had made and almost being too non-professional they they I guess just conveyed the wrong thing to their clientele and they were in some ways unprofessional and we thought, okay, well, we don't want to make that mistake. So we want to be very, very professional. Well, in doing so, I think uh, we came across as too dry to our to our own <laughs> clients. They never really got to know us. They never really connected with us. We never connected with them on, you know, just a personal level, just that human connection. Mm-hmm. And so what, what happened is when we went in to market to our clientele uh, and, and or to potential clientele, we saw our com- competition who we knew, I guess, our, we felt very confident that our work product, our quality, 
quality of product was was better, but yet they were landing the clients and we weren't. And so we really had to take a hard look at that and say, wow, okay, what are we doing wrong? And and um, we, we really kind of found out that we were just being a little bit too professional, not connecting too stiff. with the clients. Once we kind of changed that around a little bit and, and really just started to get to know them much more, you know, uh, finding commonalities in, in our personalities or, or in hobbies and whatnot. Wow, it opened up a whole new door and all of a sudden our marketing was was much more effective. And part of it is is something that's called no like and trust. And mm, yes. uh, the like part was missing. Yep. The, yes. They knew you and they could trust you. Yes. Yep. But the like part was not there. And uh, so you started to share the victories more. You started to have more discussions about the ups and downs on the business. You know, you, you were, yes. uh, they were looking at you as being a partner as opposed to a uh, order taker. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yes. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. For real. Yeah. So yep. that's interesting. You know, it, it's so funny because um, uh, the last surveillance I worked and it's a, it's a very quick story uh, while we were uh, while the deposition of the workers comp uh, claimant was taking place one of the issues that we had was we could not identify where he actually lived so while he was in wow. the middle of his deposition we went to the the neighborhood where he supposedly uh, lived and we talked to neighbors I mean talking to because we knew he wouldn't be there because uh, he was in a deposition uh, we talked to the neighbors and found out that he had moved out six months earlier and had moved down to uh, northern Florida and was was coming back for this deposition and had flown back into town just for this deposition. But at the same time, he's telling the attorney in the deposition that his address was the door next door. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So he's, you know, he's lying under oath about, you know, where he lives. And uh, and we figured this out and, and told the attorney in mid-deposition, because there was a break, about this. So he was able to craft some questions during the deposition to really nail down, you know, that this guy... Uh, that he was really being clear about where he lived, you know, and, and where, you know, and, and everything to do with habitation. And he, he continued to not tell the truth about uh, living in Connecticut. Well, it was an out-of-state attorney that came in for this national uh, account that this uh, that this workers' compensation carrier had. Okay. Don't you know, the guy is at Bradley Airport, which is Hartford's airport, and he's waiting for his flight to be called. And who does he see come in? But the guy, uh, the, the the man he just deposed, he was, oh. he was taking the flight home. Don't you know he takes the same flight as oh. the uh, uh, as the attorney? And they had to, they had they both had to get off the airplane at a changeover, like in uh, I think Atlanta. Okay. So he followed the guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to to his next um, flight destination, and it turned out to be Tallahassee. So that kind of put us in the area of Northern Florida, right? Oh wow. But uh, the people that told me it was just it, they just told me it was Florida. They didn't know what part of Florida he was living in. And in my uh, database search, I came across this very, very one single thing to deal with Florida. And that's where the guy lived. So, oh my gosh. So another surveillance team was able to go down and work this guy down there. Um, and they were able to work it and were effective in showing that all of his alleged disabilities were frivolous. And, and they settled the case for cents on the dollar, of course. Obviously. That's fantastic. But but look at look at what I'm talking about. Not my hurrah. What I'm talking about is the fact that I had such an I had established such a good rapport with my client that I could be having an uh, conversation with them ongoing during yes. the deposition. And and we were right. both working real time with the data. But had this been one of those companies where uh, there are there are several chains of command. Do you really think that the guy, the boots on the ground doing the surveillance, would be able to communicate effectively what was going on real time to be able to cause them to be able to uh, adjust and then actually see the, the the claimant on the airplane on the way back? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So, I mean, it was that conversations that were taking place. And that's the, the ability to have a good rapport with your you know, client you know, while you're real. But in the in the more larger firms, there's too many levels to go yes. through. And, yep. and that the person that might be reviewing that report might be on vacation this week. Very true. And they wouldn't yep. and they wouldn't be and they don't allow their uh, field people to communicate directly with the client. So is that a is that a fair answer, you know? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I know that's no, one that's of my stories, true. but it does highlight what you're talking about, right? The ability to Yeah, ab- absolutely. Just that that team effort, that team atmosphere, but uh, that and team the ability atmosphere. to connect. Yeah. Exactly. And that it's not just billing a client and go on no. to the next one. No, you're you're no. part you're part of the team. Yep. And and again, I I just feel like it's a fine balance. You know, you you want to be professional. We we preach that. We you know, we tell investigators that, but there's that fine balance. You don't I guess 
want to be so professional that you come across as again as being stiff or just not having a personality right and and for us once we learned that oh my gosh did it open doors with with our marketing efforts mm-hmm. and some of the others i think were too and you know hiring the wrong people um make sure one of the things that we learned is hire slow fire fast and that's one of our mottos in the office mm-hmm. um doesn't you know, take that, but a few uh, of those to happen before you get that drim- drilled into your head very much so i think the other th- other one was being afraid to raise your rates mm-hmm. in the first few years when we decided to raise our rates i can't tell you how scared i was i felt like oh my gosh if we raise our rates we're going to lose all of our clients well you're devaluing yourself by doing that oh absolutely i, I once had a long time client tell me after i raised my rates it's about time you got your rates up exactly right <laughs> the and, client and who's I... paying me is telling yeah. me you know and 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 they saw it as being that i was worth so much more why was i being why was i treating myself as cheap exactly and a lot of investigators make that mistake i still see them making it today with some of the rates that we see you know uh what they charge clients when they first start just to get that foot in the door but then you painted yourself into a a corner you've not you've not made sure that they value what you're providing with the with the uh, rate that you're setting okay and with the rates i mean you you of course uh, if if you're a business owner you want to know you and you want to time it out well you want to know why you're raising your rates and, and for what reason and, and and know that you're doing it at the right time. But uh, we, you know, Andrea and I, we learned from other investigators. I, I remember hearing a presentation that Jimmy Mesas gave where he said, you know, uh, a lot of investigators are afraid to raise their rates, you know, and what you might find out is that if you raise your rates, you might actually get more work. Right. And I thought, well, what? what? How does that, what What does he mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but once once we did, you know, and we took that leap of faith, so we said, okay, let's raise our rates and see what happens. Well, it, it happened exactly like Jimmy Mesa said, we started getting more work. Um, and and so I think that, uh, you know, you, you just have to time it out well. But if you do, you know, you'll find out that... that uh, uh, just do it. Yeah, just do it. Well, to that point, um, there is a method to it. And I, I actually talk about that in uh, PI Magazine in the last issue. Uh, they've been nice enough to have me as a uh, regularly, regularly contributing author. Yes, uh, they are. And I, I talk about marketing and what my, the title of my last... Uh, one was called Raise Your Rates, and do you want fries with that shake? I had to you know, get it to rhyme. And yep. the, the two things were raising your rates is the number one way that you can increase your top line, your revenue line, uh, without growing a new cu- more customers. And the second part about it was, do you want fries with that shake, is how do you do upsells? How do you take a, an assignment and by doing the job as, to the best of your ability, create more opportunity to give a better product to the client who will then pay you to, to expand your investigation, therefore the Absolutely. upsell. And uh, and and to and just so that I know we mentioned a name here in the conversation. He Jimmy was also my teacher of uh, PI marketing, not once oh. but twice. Yes. Um, I had two different business models, and I needed to to. Uh, to really talk to him uh, both times uh, about it, and I sought out his uh, his counsel uh, in a uh, day long class on two separate occasions, like five years apart. And uh, he was the owner of a private investigations firm in New Jersey and the owner of uh, PI Magazine. Well, he's since sold yeah. the magazine, and now Jimmy is has a national company or international company where he does bug sweeps. Yes, and, USA bug sweeps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bug USA bug sweeps. So I wanted to give uh, Jimmy a shout out there rather than mm-hmm. just mention his name to some people that might not know him. But he was the one that uh, was, I think, the grandfather of uh, PI marketing. And he certainly, I sat at his knee and I learned a great deal. And I, and more importantly, I think for both of us, what we're both saying is that both of us applied what we learned from Jimmy and that's how our businesses were able to grow. And that's another testimonial to Jim. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not just uh, and Jimmy's just one name that we've mentioned, but both Andrea and I, we've, we've learned from other investigators that have been around doing this longer than we have that have, you know, bigger companies than we have. And when we, you know, see their presentations for, for me, it's on a business level, it's individuals like, um, you know, Gene Ferraro here in Colorado, uh, Paul Jabe mm-hmm. out there in Minneapolis, right. um, Kelly, Kelly Riddle in Texas. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love to hear their presentations that they give on, on business and business strategies because we learn from those individuals. Absolutely. Well, you should never stop learning. Even 14, 20 years in, look at the movers and shakers in your profession and learn from those people around you. 
surround yourself with good people. And there's times when I, and the opposite is when I've talked to some of the old grizzled veterans say, hey kid, no, I'm not a kid anymore. So, right. but <laughs> hey kid, hey kid, uh, I, I, I learned more, I've forgotten more than you'll ever learn. <laughs> and I say, oh, I'm sorry about your early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Very true. That's a shame, but uh, it's true. I mean, the day we start resting on our laurels and the day that we things think that we, we've got everything covered, uh, you have to just be mindful that uh, your business is not a static thing. It's a growing organism that grows and changes. And if you don't grow or change with it, it's like your garden. A lot of weeds will get in there if you're not out there weeding. Right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. The, the, the analogy I say is, you know, if, if you uh, if you stop learning and, and yeah, I mean, uh, investigations itself, it's a very dynamic field, very dynamic profession. It's constantly changing, constantly evolving. So sure. since, the, since I started almost 20 years ago, wow, the technology, the equipment that's used, it's changed so much. Oh, the database is yeah. always changing and you have to change with the times. And if, and if you don't, like I say, you know, you, you go the way of the dinosaurs. Just, that's right. You're going to go out of business. So um, there's a couple questions I have still. Where are you now in, in, in the sense of your business development and where do you expect to go from here? I mean, do you have an exit strategy? Do you have a plan that has a, uh, a, be- a begin with the end in mind type of thought? Actually, that's something that we're in the midst of right now. Uh, within the past few months, we decided that we wanted to uh, change the strategy of our company again to be a little bit more on a corporate level because our skill sets have changed. Our skill sets with the way they are now 20 years later are different than when we started the company. So we're doing a little bit of a revision and um, changing of our model. But with that, we're also taking a look at exit strategy. I'm in my mid-50s and face it, I don't want to do this until day that I die. Um, you know, we see this quite often in our profession where people don't have an exit strategy or business plan and they just do it until day they can't anymore. Mm-hmm. And we've decided, you know, what do we want to do? Do we want to do this? What do we want this to look like? Do we want to sell the, grow the company and sell it at a certain point? Do we want to turn it over to the people that work with us and have it be more self-sustaining? And that's in the process, that's the process that we're in right now. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're giving that some thought because uh, a lot of PIs that I talk to that have businesses basically say, the first thing they say is, I have no family to give it to Mm -hmm. or my family doesn't want anything to do with it. That's the other uh, side of that coin. Then they then say, uh, but I'm not doing anything to change uh, where I'm going. So probably what I'll do is I'll give my employees plenty of notice. I'll give my employees plenty of time, uh, maybe offer a severance package. And then at date certain, whatever that date is, uh, 60 days ahead of time, I'll tell my customers, thanks a lot. Appreciate the ride. And then we'll just work off the work that we have. And then they'll close the doors, turn off the lights, and that'll be the end. And I, I say to them, well, okay, that, that I guess that that is one way of doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah, wow. But had you thought about this or had you thought about this or have you thought about that? And all of a sudden the light bulb starts to go on. You mean I can do that? I can do that? I can do that? And I'm saying, yeah, you can. So I do talk uh, succession planning uh, with people that feel like they're trapped into a place where all they can, all they can do is just turn off the lights. So uh, at some point, and hopefully they will turn off the lights rather than have the lights turn off on them. So Absolutely. And we see that happen quite often oh, in our profession as well. Yeah. And it's a shame. I mean, it's a shame that somebody worked themselves to death or right. not, you know what I'm saying? They work oh. until oh, death. Yeah. We've, we've seen it. Yes. I mean, we've seen it happen. We've seen it with some older colleagues that they got to retirement age and they simply could not retire because they were still really kind of living paycheck to paycheck and actually struggled even more in their later years because, you know, of course, just like any older person, you know, they started having medical issues, but but also they maybe didn't stay with the times. They didn't evolve their company. And so their clientele started dwindling and to the point where they were really literally just living paycheck to paycheck. And then one day they pass and they didn't have anything. They didn't get a chance to retire. So Andrea and I have seen that and we, we we said to ourselves, okay, we don't ever want to be in that position when we are at retirement age. We want to retire. You know, we want to be able to have that say so of when we retire. And we do want to be able to sell our company, not just, as you said, you know, have, you know, turn on the lights and just kind of have the company fizzle out. We want to be able to have something to show for the All time and years. effort and work that we put into it. Yeah. That's the equity and the branding. Yep. We know, we know those two terms. Uh, a lot of people don't. And, yep. and just to just to 
I just walk away from your gold mine while it still can mine gold. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, this conversation is going to change a little bit into the area of networking and getting involved in associations. And I just want you to kind of take it from here as to how you started getting involved in associations and how you decided to uh, to make that as a uh, part of your giving back. So it's, it's the floor is yours. Well, I'd like to take this one. I'm very passionate about this. I think, John, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we started our company right from the get-go. When Robert opened his doors, I said, we need to get involved in the community of investigators. We need to see what's out there. Uh, we need to see what associations are out there that we can join, not only to meet like-minded people, but also to learn and continue learning and grow our skills as investigators. So very early on, we joined our state association and found the value in that. Uh, growing with the state association and wanting to give back, we felt you know, that it was important to be a part of the board and, and were asked to be on the board and have kind of learned how the associations work since that time. We got involved in legislative efforts in our state because you know it's important for our professions to make sure that we watch out for that. There's always some bill that comes down that wants to limit the type of information that we have access to as investigators. Data privacy is always a big thing for people to want to limit to investigators. So we felt it was important to get in, involved in the legislative portion, which led me to our national association, NCISS. Mm-hmm. Uh, NALI, the legal, you know, a national association for legal investigators. Well, we decided to join that years ago. We've just always felt that there was really big value in being involved in the investigative community and getting to know like-minded people and continuing that education. I'm now the president of our national association, NCISS, uh, who watches out for federal legislation that affects our industry and I'm the president of our state association and in that is how we give back to the investigative community we want to leave it it's not only important for us to be involved but it's also important in how we leave this profession to the next generation coming in so we've always found huge value being involved business-wise it's one of the best things that you can do for your company again it goes back to know like and trust Uh, people get to know you through the the work that you do for the associations they get to like you because they see you that you're not a devil, you know, with your horns <laughs> coming out of your head and yeah. that you're a reasonable person and a professional and you carry yourself in a nice way. And they get to trust you because they know that other people have been around you through the association involvement and that by uh, that that your involvement in the association show that you're a person of integrity and, and you do, you walk the walk, you talk the talk. No, you walk the talk. You yep. walk the talk and, uh, and and they get to know you so that uh, when the next time I need something in the greater Denver area, well, who am I going to pick up the phone for right. first? Who am I going to call? When you need something in uh, Connecticut, who are you going to call? Well, other than that other guy, you might call right. me. <laughs> but uh, I know that uh, uh, on um, NC, uh, I never get the uh, initials right. I apologize. NCISS. Yes. The, the okay. National Council of Investigation and Security Specialists. Right. Thank you. Uh, sorry, Security <laughs> Services. Ah, see? Okay, good. I'm glad that I wasn't I the only one. I and, and you're <laughs> married to have a talk after this. And oh, you're boy. married to the president. <laughs> right. Yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, I know that that's a great organization. They lobby on uh, in Washington on the national level. They make sure that the most onerous bills uh, that infringe on our rights to help uh, society are are uh, given a proper viewing and are not rammed through by special interests. Uh, And uh, yeah, and for sure, I mean, it's a very, very important role that they have. And then also being on a a state level, you have to keep your ear to the ground there. You have to be worried about professional standards within your own state. You have to make sure that uh, everybody plays by the rules in your state, Uh, both uh, licensed licensed investigators as well as wannabes. Uh, They they have to be uh, looked at as, as as people that are unlicensed to do the work that is very clearly man uh, the work is mandated or not mandated the work is clearly legislated as to what a private investigator can do and what you can't do if you're not a private investigator and then you know the association has to be very diligent about making sure that you don't have unlicensed people running around and, and causing a problem and hurting the integrity of licensed investigators in your state so yeah it's very very important I understand that as well so it's at this point in the conversation where I ask people to tell me about their uh, company a little bit, tell me the company name, and tell me how people can reach you if they want to talk to you. Okay, so our, our company is Advanced Professional Investigations. We are located in Castle Rock, Colorado. Uh, we do work all over the state of Colorado. 
And uh, so obviously we're licensed in Colorado and also have a license in Arizona. And of course, we can do some occasional work in the state of Wyoming, which does not require any uh, licensing. And we in Colorado know what that's like or knew what that was like because uh, uh, licensing in Colorado has only been around for five years. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, and we do, our specialties are insurance defense investigations, as well as corporate and business investigations. And that's where doing more uh, background checks and computer work tend to come in with the corporate and businesses, I would take. Absolutely. And due, that's, dil- due diligence, uh, social media investigations, open source investigations. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to uh, turn off the tape recorder at this point. Uh, however, I want to thank you very, very much, both of you, for coming on. It was a great interview, and I really am glad that you took the time to explain how you guys got started and what your business formation was like and some of the trials and tribulations you went through and continue to think about and how you're going to uh, put the you know uh, final touches on your business, on your baby, before uh, you ride off into the sunset. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Tracy Clark. Tracy is the author of the Cass Rains P.I. series. The series, set in Chicago, features an ex-homicide cop turned P.I., Cassandra Rains, a hard-driving African-American gumshoe who works the mean streets of the Windy City dodging cops, cons, killers, and thugs. Her debut novel, Broken Places, made Library Journal's list of the best crime fiction of 2018 and was shortlisted in the mystery category on the American Library Association 2019 reading list. Crime Reads also named Cass Rain's best new PI of 2018. The novel also received a starred review from Publishers Weekly, a rave from Kirkus Review, and was nominated for the Lefty Award for Best Debut Novel, an Anthony Award for Best Debut Novel, and a Seamus Award for Best First PI Novel. Her second Cass Rain's novel, Borrowed Time, released in May 2019. Book 3, What You Don't See, releases in June of 2020. A native Chicagoan, Tracy roots for the Cubs, the Sox, the Blackhawks, the Bears, Chicago Shy, and the Chicago Fire equally. She is a member of Sisters in Crime, PI Writers of America, International Thriller Writers, and Mystery Writers of America Midwest. I look forward to this interview with Tracy. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do, and they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, my favorite tech stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around it. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.